Blog Talk Radio. Stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories in In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know Just what you have done Good evening, and welcome to the Stop Child Abuse Now show. This is scan number 3320. That's 3320. Um, tonight we're going to have Joe Potosi on. I'm not sure if, if this is his number here, 563 area code. Joe, is that you? That's me. Yes, ma'am. Okay, good. I'm glad you're here. Um, I think we're going to be alone tonight. It, people are still stuffed from Turkey or whatever. <laughs> and uh, what can I say? So anyway, listen, um, let me read the mission statement. I'm really happy you're here. I have your bio in front of me. I will be interviewing you. Um, My gal who's usually with me is uh, not well tonight. So um, it's going to be, I think, just you and I, but that's okay because uh, people will listen later on. Okay. Anyway, excuse me, we have a singleness of person. Start over again. We have a singleness of purpose. At I haven't been drinking, Joe. I swear to God, <laughs> I'm nuts. All right, we have a singleness of purpose at NASCO to address issues related to childhood abuse and and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so from two different ways. Now, number one is educating the public. That's very important especially as related to getting society over the taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse. Presenting the facts that show child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone, and it does. And maybe tonight with your story and some of the things I'm going to be saying, um, people will have a better idea why. All right, number two is offering hope for, for healing through numerous pairs, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Now, pretty soon I'm going to do a show just on prevention, intervention, and recovery. I want people to understand um, how we can, as a society, need to be much more aware of how we can become involved with prevention, okay, and I, I really thank you that it's you and I um, and, and many, many other people who are survivors who are going to help make that difference to put that dent in the statistics, as I say, in child abuse, okay? That's what I honestly believe. So let me get this out here. First of all, we have Joe Potosi here. He's from Dubuque, Iowa. 
and he is a returning NASCAR family member who's a, who had a horrific life. I'm not going to read this because I like for our people when they come on, okay? I'm Carol Levine. I'm vice president. You people guys, you know by now that I write uh, every Friday night I'm here. Um, anyway, um, I like our people that come on as a guest, okay, to tell their own story, their own way. As long as they don't get um, out of line, then I have to get, you know, get involved. And Joe knows that I can. <laughs> okay, so, um, yeah, I know. So, anyway, um, I've only had to do that a couple of times, and I had to X those people out. They were nuts. And I think they got in trouble with from uh, blog talk also. So, you see, you have to um, behave yourself on the show. Joe, why don't you start by, you know, telling people your story. It's it's, a, it's an amazing story. Um, my throat is a little bit off. Uh, I just got back from the doctor's two minutes, like three minutes before the show started, so I'm a little bit ah, scattered or whatever. And uh, But anyway, I am here. So tell your story, and uh, once in a while I may stop you because I do have your bio in front of me, and I may ask you a question or two, um, you know, you know, with what you're asking or what you're talking about. So go ahead. Go ahead and start your story. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for this opportunity, Carol. Up until I think it might have been a couple of years, I was part of the family and with everything going on in my life. I just had to step back from a lot of things, including this. So it's good to be back with you guys. And, um, I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. So to start my story, I'm Joe Potosi. I was born in Rockville, Illinois. And um, from my earliest memory, um, my mom and dad were pretty poor, but um, they showered us with love and affection. At this point, it was just me and my sister. She was 13 months my senior. Her being very pregnant with my first, would have been her third child, my first. Are you there, Joe? Are you there? Oh boy. Man, and it really beat up a real beat up part of town. And um, there was a housing project that was relatively new. They get accepted into, and so we moved into these projects. And it wasn't long after that my dad left. And I didn't understand why. Now, there was, I remember him and my mom both drinking alcoholic beverages, and I can recall them getting into arguments. In fact, my mother would physically attack my father, and um, he would usually just cover up or try to grab her. I never remember him hitting her at all, but it was usually one-sided, but it was still really scary to see this happen, right? Mm -hmm. So the day my father left, he went out the front door. His One of his buddies from the Army was waiting outside for him. And later that day, in the back door, came this guy who came to live with us who would eventually become my stepfather. He was uh, my mom's living boyfriend for some time before they officially got married. There was a change with my mom, the way she treated me and my sister. Um, She chose him 
instead of us. She had my brother, Marty, just before we moved into the projects, but it was put on me and my sister to care for this baby because my mother was too preoccupied getting drunk, running the streets, doing what things she did. And you say, how can a kid, five years old and, you know, almost four, how can they take care of a a brand-new baby? Well, we did. You know, my sister was the leader, and she taught me everything, and, you know, we became the parents of this child. Anyway, um, I would often ask my mother, you know, when's dad coming back? When is dad coming back? And she didn't like that because I was that reminder, like, of my dad. I I look like him. I talk like him, apparently. So she would lash out at me, attack me physically, slap me in the face, pull my hair, and just just be very, very vile and violent, right? And so this pattern continued, but it only intensified because my my mom's living boyfriend, who became my stepfather, he he didn't work, and he was just as vile and disgusting and as mean as my mom was. As time progressed, my mom kept having children to this man. Well, she had my brother Greg, and then she had two sons to my stepfather. But, you know, as time progressed, you know, I get into school and I used to hope and dream that my father would just come back. He would be like the Lone Ranger. I don't know if anyone remembers the Lone Ranger. (laughs) If not, Superman, right? He'll come back and save the day. And um, that never happened. So by the time I was in school, school for me was an outlet to get out of the house because when I was at the house, you know, we all hear about the bullies on the block, the bullies in the schoolyard. I lived with the bully, right, the bullies, my mom and stepdad. And um, I never found reprieve. I was always walking on eggshells when I was around them, and I couldn't wait for school to start. Now, oftentimes... Before school, I'd go to my friend's house, and we'd go to school together. A bunch of us would walk to school together, and they literally would drag their feet. You know, they didn't want to go to school. That was, to them, it was not fun. But to me, I looked forward to it because that was my escape. It was after school when I had to go home is when I drug my feet because I dreaded going through that front door. I never knew what I was going to find. Yeah. Let me explain some of those things. They, My mom and stepdad like to entertain other people, you know. And it's funny, Carol, because we're poorer than dirt, living in the projects, living off public assistance. But they certainly found mo- uh, money for marijuana and for alcoholic beverages to excess. But um, I came home one day from school, and they had been drinking, and um, my stepdad's brother was over there, and 
my mom and stepdad got into a huge physical altercation, and my stepdad punched my mom. She fell down, and he was stomping her face. He had these boots on, ripped her face open, and she was just a bloody mess. And he left the house, and me and my sister were trying to, you know, take care of her, trying to clean her up and trying to have someone take her to the hospital. And then when he came back in the house, it felt like an eternity was probably only minutes. We got attacked. And it was after that incident, I became a target because little did I know, Carol, until years later, my mother was having an affair with this man behind my dad's back. And this man, his name was Tyrone, he knew my dad and he manipulated my dad and, you know, he used my dad to get access to my mom. And therefore he knew of me, you know, and he knew how I was. And he couldn't stand me. He reminded me all the time how much he hated me and how much he wanted to just get rid of me. One of his favorite things to do, this was like an irregular occurrence. Get home from school, the the policy or, or the, the routine was you can grab some water and some, like, cheese slices, some saltine crackers, and you go to the basement. He would say, hit it, which was the key word for go to the basement. And once in the basement, he would lock us down there. And he would oftentimes leave, you know. And we had no way to get out of the basement, you know, no way to, you know, in case there was ever a fire or any of those types of things. So I, I'm getting really fed up with this type of treatment at the hands of him and the way he's treating my mother. That when I was in second grade at this point, I, I was struggling in school. Beginning of the school year, I was like the teacher's pet. You know, I was striving, I was excelling, I was doing really good things. But then she noticed a huge drop-off, and she, after class one day, she wanted to talk to me, and I didn't have a, I didn't have a filter. I didn't think it was wrong to tell her about the bad stuff that's going on at home, mm-hmm. how my mom was being hit by my stepdad, that my mother was being knocked down the stairs, how my stepdad would throw me around like a football. I was just being honest with the lady, you know. Her name is Miss Cush, and she was one of my favorite teachers. She took it upon herself to come to the house to meet with her mom and stepdad, and my mother and stepdad put it on such a show, you know, and she bought their lives, and she left. And it was after that that I, my mom played beat me within an inch of my life. And she, I remember her, she kept telling me, you're the reason he beats me. You're the reason we don't have food. It's because of you. It's because of you, moron. Mm-hmm. I just think playing something. I'm just a little kid. I love my mother, right? I don't understand what to deserve these beatings. And this this pattern continued. 
you know, I mentioned before she had two boys to my stepdad, and he had promised to get us out of the projects because of the stigma and whatever else. He never worked. We moved from the apartment we originally lived in, which was a two-bedroom, we moved across the parking lot to a bigger apartment, to a four-bedroom. And then shortly after that, they moved us out of the projects into a, a house on the west side of Rockford, Illinois, which ironically was behind another set of projects, right? Yeah. It wasn't a very good neighborhood. And, you know, I didn't mention this before because I don't want to um, share too much or too little. I'm trying to find a happy medium here. While we're still on the projects, because my stepdad did not work, and my mother was working second shift when she decided to work, um, there was this, a local greasy spoon called parking, or called Sandwich Factory by the parking market. The parking market was like a little grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sandwich Factory was right on the corner. You can go in there and buy like a hamburger or a hot dog, you know, whatever it is. And... Um, I went in there one day and I asked them if I can get a job, not knowing I was way too young that I didn't know the laws or anything. I just knew maybe if I get a job and make some money, like my mom makes money, maybe she'll start loving me again. Maybe she'll start liking me. So the owner of the of the sandwich factory, long story short, he offered me $2 every Saturday if I would pick up the garbage in the parking lot and sweep it up as the best I could. So that was my first job. Mm-hmm. And do you think they appreciated it? No. no. They didn't appreciate it at all. So let, let me stop was, you there for a second there. You know? Now, you said $2. Um, yeah, that's not much money, is it? Of course, things were a lot better. They were a lot different. I shouldn't say better. They were different back then. But you know, right. you know, I have to say this because I came from a very similar background than you did, and you know, very similar. I get it. All right, there's a lot of people who are going to listen to this later, and a lot of probably listening right now. Blog talk, you know, lets us know that. Are um, trying to think, wrap their brain around the things that you're saying because uh, they seem so horrific. Now you said something a little while ago, which uh, made a lot of sense to me because I'm somewhat the same. Um, you, you, so you, you almost get used to the terrible beatings, and I mean, yes, uh, we have the, the flight, we have freeze, and things like that, and the fawn. That's the newest on F A W N. We try to people please, okay, overboard people right. please, all right, um, and and flee, and so that you have fight, fawn, flee, and freeze. Now, depending on the situation, okay. Um, many times I would freeze, and then other times I would go numb, okay, because you see it so much, right. and somehow you don't somehow you don't realize that um, maybe other kids live like this. Is you know it's like a part of what's going on, even though you somewhere in the back of your brain you think to yourself, this can't be right, it can't be right. And then for you to I, you know have to bring up your brother Frankie, I think you said his name was. Um, you know, at such an early age, puts so much responsibility on you. This is horrific, okay? 
and um, to have that responsibility on your sister also as well, even though she was a lot older than you, it was still just not something that should be. And for children to have to witness all the, the drugs, the alcohol, I get that, and, and the beatings. And, and um, I used to wipe blood off of my mother's face when I was four years old. So I get it. I know what you're talking about. And you'd be surprised. There's a lot of NASCAR people out there that get it too, all right, because there's a lot of us. We're not as unique. Um, I've been here 14 years. And um, I came to realize that my stories, I've, I can't even tell you how many stories I've heard. I, I've lost track, okay? And, um, yes, it's horrific. It is horrific. But somehow we're still standing. Now, what you're talking about here, um, sweeping the uh, the sidewalks and, and, the, and the parking lot and things like that for $2, um, okay, that, that's ridiculous. The guy made out like a bandit. You probably did a pretty good job. I think you're a responsible kid because you went into school, you did your best, and you were able to concentrate and learn. And that's very good, yeah. A lot of people can't concentrate, you know. So I'm glad you had that outlet. Okay, go ahead from the parking lot. Go ahead. Okay. I was pretty devastated by the fact that, as I mentioned before, my father – Abandoned the family. It was always reminding me of how broke we were, and there was never so substantial food in the house, etc. And we had food stamps, so this guy was going to give me two dollars of real money. I thought that was being in third grade. I thought that was you know pretty good. You know, desperate people do desperate things, I guess. But I mentioned the school before and how. I explained to my teacher what was going on. I felt like the school let me down. They were, and then a little while after that, I was in third grade during this time, there was a natural school program at a local church that um, twice a week that my mother allowed me and my sister to go to. And mm-hmm. I would always beg the, the leaders if I can stick around longer to help clean up. So I didn't have to go home sooner than I have to, had to, right? And after a certain period of time, they started sharing these stories about who God was and this man named Jesus and what he did for all of mankind, how he died on the cross, paid for all of our sins, so we that we might have a right relationship with him simply by putting our trust in him. Now, that was the issue for me because putting your trust in someone you can't see, feel, or touch. At the same time, I couldn't trust the people that are supposed to be taking care of me. Firstly, my birth father, my mother and stepfather. You know, and I could see them. They treat me like garbage. I can't trust them. How can I trust in this invisible God? But after a period of time, I confided in this church about the abuse I was subjected to. And the abuse that my sister Toots was being subjected to and my mother and my brother Greg, nothing ever happened. I felt like they, they failed me. And the third strike for me was <clears throat> my extended family. I, you know, I discovered my, my, my mother and father originally from Dubuque, Iowa. So when we found out he was 
he he would come to Dubuque to see his children. We were allowed to go to Dubuque most summers, not every summer, but you know, several. And that's at which time I would see my dad and I would see my grandparents, my paternal grandparents and my aunts and uncles on my father's side, as well as a huge family on my mother's side, huge family. And um, I would confide in them. I remember one particular time I sat down with my grandma and my father and she made my favorite she made her like homemade donuts and she had a toast party and she gave me, was giving me all these goodies, but she was, I was, I was just pouring out my guts, telling about everything that was happening about how my stepdad keeps us locked in the basement and how he, you know, when he's mad at me or my brother Greg in particular, would get a whooping. Now what a whooping is, it's not a spanking. What a whooping was when we were real young, under the, under like fifth grade, he would have you strip naked, and he would have you lean over the stairs and have everyone else gather around, and he'd lecture you about what you supposedly had done wrong. And then what he would do was he had a wooden paddle, or he had he the belt from his pants, like he had a 44-inch waist. So it was a big mm-hmm. belt. Um mm-hmm. And he would just grab you by the arm and just go to town, hit you in the back, your you know your rear end, your back, the back of your head. And one particular time, I got a whooping for I must he thought I said something derogatory toward him or something, and so he took it out on me. And when he was satisfied that you know he gave me enough swats as we used to call them, he threw me on the ground. So. I'll, I was sharing a story with my mom, my father and my grandmother, <clears throat> and I had to get on the bus that day to go back to Rockford, the Greyhound bus. When I got back to Rockford, I was met at the, Grace, Greyhound, base, the Greyhound bus station by my stepdad, and he was furious. I found out later that my dad had called my mom and stepdad and was calling my stepdad all kinds of names. But for 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 the a better context, let me explain something. Not that it matters, but back in the seventies, my mother was married to a black man in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Which wasn't real it wasn't real common, but there was a lot of racism from um my dad's family and my mom's family. There were a lot of racists. So my dad called and called my stepdad all these names, derogatory names, and meet me at the bridge, I'm a bully brand, all these types of things. So when I got back home, he picked me up. We had a blue Rambler station wagon. He picked me up. It was a stick shift. Do you remember those blue Ramblers? Or do you remember the yeah. Rambler station wagons? Um, my husband, was, my yeah, first time. Yeah, my first, yeah. <laughs> and when I seen that car and I seen who was behind the wheel, my heart sank because I knew I knew I was in trouble. I just knew it. And my sister was with me. She was in Dubuque with me as well, so we rode the bus together. 
So when we got home, he sent me downstairs, and he told me to get ready. And I didn't know what that meant. That meant I was going to get a whooping. But before he could give me his whooping, my mother came down the stairs, drunk, with a cancer stick in her hand. And she said, what did I tell you about running your mouth? Didn't we tell you to keep your mouth shut? You don't put our, our business out on the streets. I said, Mom, Mom, I'm your son. Don't you care? And then, blam, a slap across the face. I was running to get away from her, and she was hitting me in the back of the head, punched me in, you know, like my lower back. And then when she got tired of messing with me, my stepdad came down, and same, same stuff, just wore me out, right? So that was just how it was, walking yeah. on eggshells all this time. Now I became really, really afraid for my life because my stepdad six five three fifty. Six foot five, three hundred and fifty pounds. He was yeah. a real to me, he was a real life monster. He really yeah. was. Yeah. So fast forward to we moved into this house. I got a paper out because I wanted to support the family. And I gave some of the money to my mother to help with bills because even though we moved out of the projects and my mother was working a lot, he wasn't working. He drank a fifth of the E&J brandy a day. And every morning when we get ready for school, there was only – all of us boys' bedrooms were downstairs. There was a toilet downstairs and a washer and dryer in my bedroom. There was only one full bathroom. That was upstairs. Every morning during the week, you know, we'd have to go in there and get ready for school or whatever. My stepdad would be passed out drunk on the on the toilet, completely naked, puke everywhere mm-hmm. from his night of partying. And if you went in there and made too much noise, like I made a mistake one time, I went in there and made too much noise, I thought he was dead. I mean, he wasn't even snoring. All of a sudden, he grabbed me by my arm, and he threw me against the door, and he goes, what did I tell you about not disturbing my rest? And I was just like, are you freaking kidding me? Mm-hmm. It was so I had this paper out. I was giving my mom a portion of the money, and I was keeping some for myself. I would go to the local little restaurant buy myself, you know, a little treat. I'd go to the local drugstore and buy my mother, like, a, a coffee mug or, or, like, a little throw rug for the kitchen. I'd buy my stepdad his favorite candy. And I was trying to buy their acceptance. I was hoping my mother would love me again yeah. if she would see I, I'm I'm a good, good kid, you know. I, I don't understand. But mm-hmm. no, no matter what I did, it wasn't good enough for either one of them. And so the abuse continued from from both of them, from my mother and my stepfather. And frankly, I was really fed up with the way he, tra- he treated my mom, right? More so than myself. I was trying to protect her. And it was just like it was a vicious, vicious cycle. I decided to quit the paper route. 
And when I did that, he called me out on, he called me upstairs. He had me sit down at the kitchen table. And he was cleaning his beloved 38 caliber handgun. Now, this 38 caliber handgun, he carried with him everywhere. He used to wear like a shoulder harness that he couldn't get on by himself. He had to have like my sister or somebody help him because he had such broad shoulders. Anyway, he was cleaning his gun, and he asked me one question. He goes, why did you quit the paper out? I was kind of looking at the ground, and then I heard, I heard him, you know, I heard him making all these noises. I look up, and I see he's putting the bullets back into the chamber, and I didn't have an answer. I looked back down at the ground, shaking in my boots, so to speak. And he goes, give me one reason why I shouldn't pull the trigger. And I looked up real quick. And I could see, he used to wear dark glasses, even in the house. And I could see those two little dots, supposed to be his eyes. And click, he pulled the trigger. Now, this is, this is the embarrassing part, but this is what happened. I peed my pants in fear, right? And I ran downstairs, hid behind a furnace where he can get to me. And that's when a transition happened that if I can show you to now, I would. Up until this point, I was my little brothers. I have four little brothers. I was their protector. In fact, there was times I would take whoopings for them so they wouldn't feel the pain they wouldn't have the marks, and they wouldn't face the wrath of my stepdad or my mother. I always try to protect them. But at this point in my life, I'm only in fifth grade, right? Mm-hmm. I decided I had enough, and I decided I, I'm going to take my own life. Yeah. And only the, what happened was... Um, they, he wasn't at the, ho- at the house at the time. Nobody was there. So I went into the bedroom looking for his gun. I guess I wasn't thinking he always has that gun on him. I couldn't find that thirty-eight caliber handgun. So I looked in his closet, and he had a 12-gauge shotgun. I did find that, but there was no shells in it. And I don't know what the shells were. So I go back downstairs, come up with a different plan, and that's when... Not not in the audible voice, but God said to me, you need to be there for your sisters and your brothers, for your sister and brothers. And from that day on, things got worse. The heat got turned up, but they could not kill my And my daily motivation was my brothers and my sisters, my sister. I needed to be there for them. And, you know, people have asked me, why didn't you just give up a long time ago? Or what kept you going? And I'm going to tell you, Carol, what kept me going. The honest, the honest goodness truth is I always thought tomorrow would be better. I thought tomorrow my dad will show up. Tomorrow my dad's going to come here with the cavalry. He's going to displace this man, Tyrone, by using the police or whatever. 
and we're going to be reunited like the family we were. My father is going to accept my two younger brothers, you know, and we're going to be back together. The things are going to be normal, but that didn't happen. Well, you know, I'm I'm so sorry you went through all of that, you know. Um, we do have Philip here. I want to see if he wants to at least say hello. Sometimes he likes to just sit and listen. Philip, hi, hi, how you doing? Hi, how you doing? Good. Good, so, how are you? So, you've been listening. Yeah, I'm I'm doing okay. Um, so, you've been listening to the story. It's quite a story, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It is, actually. It is. Yeah. I always like to have uh, Joe on because, you know, it's, um, it's, you know, he can enlighten people who have um, horrific stories to tell. And uh, and then those, and I'm not uh, saying anything, you know, we don't take a yardstick here, okay, on NASCA. But some people will say, well, I don't really belong on your show because I, I only got hit. I wasn't sexually abused or um, or turn it around, you know what I'm saying? If you suffer trauma at all, okay, trauma, that causes all different kinds of things in your life. Now, Joe, he's a trooper because I know what you're saying at that young age, just wanting to give up and die. I was seven, all right? I know what that feels like. And I didn't do it until I was 17 where I did try. I got caught by a friend who came home early from a date. She didn't like the guy. He didn't like her. <laughs> so she came home and she caught me. But, you know, um, and I know about the voice of God, too. So you're speaking to someone who understands, you know, religiously, spiritually, mentally, physically, all the things that you go through. And then, too, you know, that saving grace. I, I wish everyone that is listening tonight, could hear the sound of God or could see something. I had a hand on my shoulder when I was praying, okay? And a friend of mine, another one, had disappeared. And she was down in Neck of Newark. Everybody's heard of Newark, even if they don't live in New Jersey, all right? <laughs> Newark's bad. And and uh, she was down in the street. They got her. And she had shot her up with all kinds of drugs and everything. And um, I was praying so hard by that window because that's what I used to do. Joe. I used to go over to the window and pray, okay, on my hands and knees in the dark with my door locked because my mother was an atheist, okay. And if she caught me praying, she'd beat me. So I didn't want that to happen. The next day, right. my my friend was found, okay, and she was alive. But that hand on my shoulder, if anyone could have an experience like that, and like what you're talking about, okay, um, it would give them a different idea that there is God. So my mother used to say to me, Joe, if there's such a thing, little miss uh, whatever you are, because um, I wasn't baptized or anything. She wouldn't get me baptized, right? I got baptized Catholic later for <laughs> many years. But she said to me, if this such a thing as God, then why are all these things, all these things happening in the world? And then she goes through the list, you know, the starvation, um, all this other stuff. 
And uh, at a very early age, I remember, I, I mean, when you think about it, I was in my teens when I had, um, you know, when I tried to kill myself, and then also, too, with my friend disappearing. It was all around the same time. Um, but I, I said to her, Mom, we're on this earth, and we have free will. We have free will. That's what we've got. So people who are hungry, we feed them if, we do, if we're good people. I don't even know where it came from, <laughs> right? Um, um, pe- people who need help, if they need clothing, you, you clothe them. Because I read the Bible from page one all the way through. And I remember how it said if you have two shirts and someone comes to you, you give them one of your shirts, okay? I remember that part in the Bible. I remember the whole thing. So I had this religious, and I met Billy Graham when I was five years old. That was cool, in New York and Manhattan. But anyway, and he gave me a Bible. I still have it to this day. But you see, there's some oh. of us where it comes easy with religion. Where, and it doesn't even have to be religion. It's faith. We have faith. Okay? And I wish that right. everyone, no matter what it is we've experienced. Now, Philip hasn't shared the story yet, and I'm not pushing him because you can't push a person to tell their story. They'll tell their story when they're ready, and that's fine. That's just the way it is. Okay, but he can listen, yeah. and you know. So what you're talking about with your religious, or, well, with your experience, okay, with your experience, you heard the words from God. I believe you because of that hand on my shoulder. And one time, Joe, I left my body. <laughs> I was reading a spook book. I, I admit it was a spook book. All right. Probably a devilish book. When you're a teenager, that stuff seems like, um, it seems um, exciting or whatever. So I'm reading this book, minding my own business, and I felt my whole insides go up to the ceiling. I don't know how to explain it to you. I'm in the middle of a sentence. And all of a sudden, I'm up at the ceiling, didn't touch it. And I heard, this is the time that I heard, okay. I heard, what's she doing here? What's she doing here? And this little very meek voice was said back, I don't know, I guess he said, or she said, I don't know, or whatever. Well, she doesn't belong here. Hey, it's not her time yet. And I felt it was a nasty voice. It wasn't a good voice. It scared me, all right? So I went down into my body. I could feel myself going down into my body. These out-of-body experiences do exist. Anybody out there, if you want to call and, and talk about Joe's story as he's saying it, and we're going to get into other things in a few minutes, but if you don't believe it, you have two people right here, maybe even Philip, I don't know. But you have two people here. The number is 646-595-2118. That's 646-595-2118. And any time you want to test me, any Friday night, okay, the only Friday nights I'm not going to be here is I'm going in surgery soon for my foot, my bad foot. I wish they'd do my arm too. That needs help. But I may be off, I don't know, a couple times. But any time you want to call and ask me questions, because many times we do topic shows too. We have Joe tonight as a guest, and he's a wonderful guest. He's been on before. He's one of our brothers, okay? To me, he's a brother, all right? Probably the type of brother that I should have had. All right? So you can call in any time and ask any question you want. So we've had our experiences and a lot of us have gone to school, I had to go to school if I was going to remain a counselor. They sent me. I had no choice. Okay, so 
Joe, I just wanted to get that yes. out there because people, you know, they can call us any time, right, and ask questions or make comments. There was more people well, out there. That's a wonderful thing. Well, it, it was a scary thing, that second one, because quite frankly, I wasn't being a very good girl <laughs> at that time. And I thought to myself, hmm, maybe I had better try to be a better girl, okay? <laughs> I, I don't mean a people please. Well, you know. I'll tell you, I'm glad your friend came home and intervened, and you're here today. I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you know what I'm to. saying. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And so, um, I um, so I, in my mind, I I felt like I was let down. Church, school, extended family. I was at wit's end. I contemplated taking my own life, suicidal ideations. God intervened, and as I mentioned before, the heat was turned up. Um, Eventually, we left my stepdad, and now you think, hooray, they left left the monster. The dad's going to, my father's going to come back onto the scene, and things are going to really be, you know, reunited. Nope. My mother's drinking intensified. Her, her lashing out at my sister and myself. Her physical attacks on me. Verbal threats. It got so bad, Carol. It got so bad. Believe this or not, I asked my stepdad if I can live with him. Because it was so bad with my mother. Now, that's pretty sad. That's pretty pathetic. Yeah. And, you know, by this time, you know, I'm in high school. I'm a lot bigger than her now, but I've watched her getting beat to a pulp numerous times. I've seen her, you know, just a bloody pulp. And I don't want to see any harm come to her. And even when she was attacking me, I would just grab her or just, Whatever, because I don't want no harm to come to her. But um, what what essentially happened was, I um, obviously I got through the whole suicidal ideations, and I graduated from high school a semester early, and I went into the United States Navy. And my point is, if, if I can just, and I know, Carrie, you've heard me say this before, but I think it's relevant. Your condition does not have to be your conclusion. Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah. and when I talked about the whole suicidal ideations, I want to tell people that, that are out there that you have a value and a significance and a purpose in your life, and a, God has a plan for you. I don't know what that is a value unmeasurable, and if you're facing those type feelings, reach out for help because we need you around. And, you know, I, I just think that always hoping tomorrow's going to be better for me 
when I was in my darkest days and my relationship with God or what I, you know, at that time in my life, you know, I, I was heavy in the church and trying to understand everything about God. I didn't understand why God was allowing things to happen. But for that matter, I didn't understand how you, you, you hit on it before, you know, like if someone is hungry, you feed them. But there's something called greed. You know, there's so many people that are greedy that don't want to share the wealth, that don't want to share the grain or the food or, you know, they want to keep it all to themselves. It's sin that, that encompasses all of mankind. You know, it's because of sin these things happen, you know. So um, so your condition doesn't have, does not have to be your conclusion and so many different avenues, you know. I'm working on the second book. Mm-hmm. And, um, but these last three and a half years have been extremely difficult for me with grief and loss. I had major back surgery three years ago. Last year I had a total knee replacement. Um, there's been some other um, tragic events that have taken place in my family. And as a result of that, it just um, put things on the back burner. Right, right. But I need to say this too, Carol. Mm-hmm. I'm not, by any way, am I saying my story is worse than yours or worse than anyone's else, anyone else, because it's, it's not. But what I am saying is, if you were to take a look at my book, you would see the tenacity, the introspection, the the perspective of a young person who went through a very trying time in his life for 15 years and he came on on top. He never gave up. He never quit. He fell, you know, when he fell down eight times, he got up nine. And the book also talks about the gift of forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. I always had a tough time with that one. You know, um, that's something I'd like to talk about. We have... Yeah, we we have some time, and and you are you know you're a minister, okay, and um, I I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. See, I turned to the church too, and um, it was in that church group, huge church group, that there were psychologists. There were over two hundred people in this prayer group. Good God, so wow. they came from all walks of life. Yeah, I know that's big. So they took one look at me and they said, you're a mess. And I said, yes, I am. <laughs> because I was. One thing I don't do is lie. <laughs> I don't do that. I don't do it, no. So uh, so anyway, I felt like I was a mess and uh, my life was a mess and, and I needed help. So they gave me everything that I needed and they got me into school and all kinds of stuff, which I'm very forever you know, thankful to St. James, one good Catholic church, all right, in, in Red Bank, New Jersey. Um, when I was living in New York, I didn't have any of that. And my again, atheists all around me. All right, so um, I had one aunt that was religious, and that's how I got to meet Billy Graham, you know, meet him rather um, in New York and in, in, in Manhattan, because he had a huge tent up, huge tent, and there were so many people in that tent, and uh, they were all they all wanted to be blessed by him, and. Uh, 
So I went and I ran in line. <laughs> the type of kid I was, I was five years old. I wanted to be, I wanted to be blessed too. And I feel, well, maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I can hear blah, 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 blah. <laughs> So I am. So, uh, so anyway, uh, it came to my turn. And he, it was something weird happened. He, put his, he blessed me, but his hand jumped. I go, whoa, what's wrong with me? His hand jumped. I mean, he looked startled himself. I don't know what that meant. I still don't know what that meant, but his hand jumped. But he did say something to me that um, always stayed in my mind. He said to me, I don't know what you're going to do, Carol. You're just a little girl. You're five years old. What could you have done wrong? She said, but, you know, you're going to go through rough times and all this other stuff, but someday you're going to have a lot of people who listen to you, you speak to, um, and God is, is walking with you always. And I'll never forget that. And he took oil and he put it on my, on my, you know, on my forehead. Oh, wow. I mean, I was only five years old. It didn't make much sense to me because when we're young like that and we have, you know, religious experiences, we're just kids. It's just like right. we're watching all of that horror that goes around us, you know, or whether, whether it be the violence, so often the violence. And sure, we get scared that we're going to be next. We're going to get hit next, okay? Now, my so-called biological father, I found that many years later, was not my father. My mother had gotten raped, and I popped, and that's why she hated me. And I had to live that life of her hatred towards me, never knowing why, until she passed away and my stepmother, or stepfather rather, um, told me the truth. Okay. And wow. uh, my, so-called, my so-called father, his mother tried to tell me the truth when I was 14, up in upstate New York, because I was going back and forth to New York, New Jersey. And um, we had cabins up there. It was really cool, outside of Greenwood Lake, and uh, so anyway, one summer's day, I'm up there, and she um, said to me, Carol, I want to talk to you. She says, you have green eyes. I said, yeah. She says, I have blue eyes. I go, yeah. Your mother has brown eyes. I go, yeah. <laughs> all these things, right? And then all of a sudden, she said, look, I'm just telling you. I, ha- I know that you're not one of us. You're not one of us. And then she walked away. I was flabbergasted, and I was shocked. I was flabbergasted. I was hurt because that side of the family, even though that wasn't my real father, okay, um, he they treated me well, and I didn't want to lose that. I didn't want to lose that, and I was so frightened that after she told me, and my mind wouldn't absorb it, I wouldn't let it. I, pu- I was pushing it away. No, I have to belong to somebody, right? So, I mean, this right. is how I was thinking. I had to belong to somebody. So, um, you know, um, yeah, so that's what happened. And I went through so much grief in my life because of neglect and uh, from my mother and a stepfather who didn't care and a father. that He wasn't even my father anyway, but he didn't care either. He took off to California. And, um, you know, so I knew what it was like to have that empty feeling. See, I talk about the empty feelings that we have inside in our heart, okay? Because when we have parents who don't take notice of us, who don't praise us, who don't tell us how good we are when we are good, okay? 
or, or to direct us properly, to sit us down and to talk to us and say why they're displeased with us if we've done something wrong. No, we had parents that ignored us or took the belt to us. My mother used to make me pick my own switch. And I had an older brother who couldn't keep his hands off of me. And he's older than me by far. I mean, well, five years older. And she didn't care. She said that happens in families. Well, yes, it does. He started at the age of nine and continued all throughout my life until I was, like, out of the house at 18, okay? Of course, never marrying, right, because I never had anybody to look up to. I made mistakes. So... I had all these switchings because I wouldn't. I didn't want to clean up after him. Why should I clean up after him, Joe? He's five years older than me. So if I stood up for myself, then I'd get switched. And I had to pick my own switch. And then I, I learned all of a sudden that if the switch had brown in it, it wasn't going to hurt so bad when I got switched. And I went too far with the brown, <laughs> and the switches started to break, and my mother caught on to what I was doing. So then she went out and she got the switches. So you see... That sounds... Yeah. And that's just a a tiny, tiny bit of my story, and I'm not going to go into any more of it. But to show people out there, you know, we know what it's like. We've been there. Um, My phone rings a lot of times. Sometimes I'm hoarse. Today I'm hoarse, but I I was on the phone kind of latish last night. But I, I can be on the phone until 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, and everybody knows I have a mouth. <laughs> I don't mind talking. So they call me, right. and and uh, and so that's how I do my ministry, if you will, is, is through the phone and talking to people, and then also, too, helping to guide them to programs, which we do offer. I do have to mention this, and then we'll go back, okay? Um, okay. On the front page of NASCA, N-A-A-S-C-A dot org, NASCA dot org, There are red blocks, and the very first block is the programs. Joe, you know that many times people, they're either introverts or they're extroverts or whatever. The ones who are introverts, many times they stay in their house because of all the abuse that they went through. Maybe they're going through their suicidal ideations like I did, like you did. Okay? It's not a good feeling, is it? So they call me, and I talk to them, and and, um, if I think that they're going to become a people person, like I am, like you are, um, for goodness sake, let's help them, get them into the programs. So then I go with them, I I show them how to do it. You just simply click on to the program. You'll see the world spinning around. You'll see the United States. United States, go to whatever state you're in. I'm in New Jersey right now. So I would click on to New Jersey, and then I would find an area closest to me. And you'd be surprised. There's programs all over the place. You wouldn't know that unless I just right. told you that. So that people can go, and, and they, maybe they can make friends there. People are all the same. They're all the same. They're like us, okay? They're all the same. And they go to these programs. I had two guys call me. One was from Lawrenceville, New Jersey, um, and thanked me because he found something right around the corner from his house. He didn't even know it was there. They don't have signs outside. Okay. It's like AA. They don't have signs outside. All right. So it's the same idea. So um, people, if you you want to get involved and do face-to-face, do face-to-face and maybe make friends, come out of your cocoon, come out of your shell, 
go to the programs. That's NASCA, N-A-A-S-C-A dot org. And you'd be shocked. The more urban you are, of course, there's more programs. And you can go eeny, meeny, miny, mo a lot of times. You can. And you can take, you know, decide if you uh, like this one or like that one. The second guy was from southern Jersey also. And uh, he didn't call me um, right away, but he did call me sometime later. And he did find a program also. So that shows, and I'm thankful to say that, that, that there are people out there, you know, who can get help if they want to go to a program. They can call us anytime here at NASCA. They can call Joe anytime. He's a minister. We have our ministers on, on the show, and um, I'm a counselor. I ha- and in order to stay as a counselor and keep that, I had to go to school. And I was having panic attacks during that time. Thank you very much. I didn't want to go to school. <laughs> I wanted to stay away from school. <laughs> but, but okay, I did it. I did it. And I worked mostly in the alcohol and drug field, and I had to learn about behavior modification and all the dysfunctionalities in the home. And I can talk for hours about that from also past experience, from marriage experience, and and just from what I learned in school. Joe, sometimes you and I can teach the professors. You know that. That's right. Because sometimes we know more. I've done so many presentations. Many times we know more than the professors because they came from homes that were good homes, I guess. They didn't go through the same things we did. This is why these shows are so important. We write our books, we come on, we tell our stories, and we do our artwork, we do our music, whatever. And we listen to shows like this. Now, we're getting we're getting into your you know, we're really getting into your story here. I mean it's just about over actually. And then I I do want to talk about um how you, you know, minister to people today when we get to that. But let's finish your story. I, I need to speak a little bit about NASCA. And, again, the, the number here is 646-595-2118. That's 646-595-2118. I'm Carol Levine. I'm vice president. I've been on this show for 14 years. And believe me, we have heard it all. Okay. So that's why it's a good thing to call us, too. Um, so, Okay. Let's let's talk about where you had let, left off, okay? Your father didn't come back to save the situation. I didn't have a father. Right. My stepfather was cold, distant, and very much into the business. He was a very good businessman. He was a flower grower, and he was rich, and I had to steal my clothes, okay? That's the way it was. I got caught finally. I told him what was going on, too. And uh, they gave me 48 hours to come up with the money or they were going to call the cops or call my mother, who I was scared to death of, too. Okay. I didn't like getting beat. My brother was the king. He could do anything he wanted. I don't know where he is today. I don't know if he's alive. And I don't care. He's not bothering me. (laughs) Okay. So we, we go through all of these things in our lives. Let me ask you something. You speak about your other siblings. That's a good point to bring up. Did you? Are you in touch with your other siblings today? Yes, I am. Well, that's uh, nice. My that's sister, to- my sister Toots. Um, the book is dedicated to her. Mm-hmm. She she was my hero 
and um, she still is. She recently moved out to Arizona to be closer to her children and her grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And then I have two brothers. One lives in Seattle, Washington. Another lives in Idaho. And I have two brothers that live in the Rockville, Illinois area. And, yeah, we, we speak. Um, unfortunately, earlier this year, back in March, my sister's husband died suddenly. And so I flew out to Arizona for the funeral. They asked me to officiate it, which was an honor and a privilege. But um, it was the first time all of his siblings had been together in like eight years, all in one place. So it was really good to see everybody together, but it was it was for, you know, a funeral, so... I was, you know, that's not always the greatest. But yeah, we, you know, we get along. We're civil. Um, yeah, and I'm grateful for that. You are blessed. I think that. Okay, you're blessed for that because you know, um, Joe. You, you know, you've, I'm sure you listen to shows off and on, but we have people that come on as guests, just like you tonight, and um, they never mend. Their relationships, like if, if I saw my brother at the door here, I wouldn't let him in. <laughs> what for? I, I'd lock him out. I, I'd close the door and lock him out. I don't want to talk to him. I um, I approached him once and told him, you know, reminded me of how he had treated me from the age of nine. That's after I got kidnapped and raped in New York. You know about that. And so then I had my brother too to deal with on and on and on and on. And it never stopped. So look. I said, this is what you did, and I don't want to see you. Goodbye. So he looked at me and says, you enjoyed it. Now, see, that's what they do. That's what they do. They turn it around and make it look like it's your fault, or at least you were part of it. Okay, you were part of it. I was scared to death of him, and I couldn't stand him. I had to take many beatings because of him. So, uh, no. So, you see, for you to say that you're, excuse me, very friendly with your your siblings, that's a wonderful thing. I mean, that's, that's unique. That is unique. Because how many siblings do you have? I have five siblings. Right. That's what I, that's what I thought you were going to say. That's a lot of siblings, you know, and and you, you all did 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 they hurt get hurt too like you did? Or did they, did they get the beatings and and all that other stuff, um, or was it just you? It was primarily my sister, myself, mm-hmm. and my brother Greg. But I was I was a huge target. Mm-hmm. I. My little brother Greg knew knew how to manipulate and get around stuff and get out of stuff, you know. Um, but I was more I was taking beatings for them because trying to protect them. But um my sister was a big target too of my mother's mm-hmm. in particular. Yeah. And um she is um the most well adjusted person you'd ever want to meet. That's so, you know, that's so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, she is. Mm-hmm. 
You know, when, if if someone was to read the book, you you yeah. read about her and she. Well, why don't you talk her. about your book? Your, your book, the name of your book is called "When the Dust Settled." Correct. Yes. So, I do have a website, JoePatosi dot com. That's P O T O S I. And on the website, you can see um, various information about myself and the book, as well as links to where you can purchase the book. It's available on Amazon.com, Walmart.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Zulon Press, and Books of Million or BAM.com. Um, last year, last October, I won an international award for faith and spirituality for my yes. book, which I'm very proud of. Mm-hmm. And a year you before did. that, I I made it to the top ten author elite awards for best memoir. Mm-hmm. Up against, I went up against thousands and thousands of other authors, and um, <clears throat> it was just. To me, it was like affirmation that the book is helping people. That Absolutely. when I wrote the book, it, it took yeah, it took a lot of courage, a lot of transparency, and um, I think it's making a difference in people's lives. I'm, I'm also on Facebook, Joe Potosi on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Instagram is Joe underscore Potosi. You can find me there, mm-hmm. and. Um, I just, um, the book started off as a journal and ended up being a book because I want to help people by sharing my story. And, again, your condition does not have to be your conclusion. Mm-hmm. I can't emphasize that enough. So people just... I want to read your book. Oh, I appreciate anyway. that, Kim. And um, I'll buy it. This and year... Mine's still selling, for God's sake. I wrote it in 2008 the first time, and then I, Author House got a hold of me in 2010. Joe, I have about four different companies selling my book, and I don't even know how. And it's a good thing that I'm in the Library Hall of Congress because no one can steal my book. Right. I don't understand that. I don't know how. I don't understand how that happened. Maybe sometime you can clue me in on that because I don't get it. Sure. But... um. Yeah, seriously. But, um, and I don't get royalties or anything anymore because there's all these people. Other, I don't even know. <laughs> I look my book up, Panic Child, How Many True Stories of Sexual Abuse and Neglect by my name. It made it to Japan. It made it to Down Under. And then I stopped looking because I got mad because that's my story. And I'm glad it's out there, just like you're glad it's out out there. We want people to hear our stories. We want people to understand that they're not alone. We want people to understand that there's horror out there. And we need for parents to do better at parenting. I get so mad. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. I get so freaking mad, and I'll say it that way, when people say to me, Carol, you're a rough girl, you're a tough girl, and, and this is why you made it. Well, yeah, there's a big, that's true. But I also very much believe in God, as I said before, and I think that's how I made it as well. But, um, you know, but this isn't going to happen to my kid, what happened to you. You see, they exactly. don't get it yet. They don't, they don't. get it. 
can happen to any kid. You know this. Philip knows this. Everyone on NASCAR knows this. All the groups that we have out there. Look, I'm so happy because, don't forget, I've been here 14 years. And over the 14 years, I was on a, a show for two years before that, 16 years on the radio I've been on, okay? And I have to tell you something. I have seen some change, which is good. We want change. There is, There are more people who... Um, are understanding a little bit better about child abuse. And for that, I'm very thankful. Because it's like people, you know, are hearing what we're saying. And they need to, because people who have children, they have to do a better job at protecting them, not just teaching them to cross the street, okay? Not just telling them about the boogeyman who comes out behind the bush, okay, and, and wants to give you uh, candy. No. I always call it the good, the bad, and the ugly. We have good people out there. We have bad people out there. And then we've got the downright ugly, like Jeffrey Dahmer, okay, and some of them, all right? And I don't believe that they went to heaven. I'm just saying I I can't help it. That's, That's how I feel about it. Because children are a gift from God. It says that in the Bible, too. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. So if you're hurting children, you're spitting in God's face. That's the way I look at it. I agree okay? 100%. Yeah. So I think and that so, all of those people out there, they go to a certain place, and it's not heaven. Go ahead. I was just going to mention, too, um, I'm also always open to speaking engagements, book signings, or somebody out there has a podcast or looking for a guest, I'm always more than willing to um, be a part of that. So kind of help share the message. And my well, email is when the dust settled. Yeah. When the dust settled at gmail.com. Um, next week I got coming up, there's um, like a day group. These people are all suffering. They all mm-hmm. come from broken homes and you know, they have mental health issues. I'm going to be speaking to this group of people next week. And I'm excited about it because mm-hmm. I want to help these people to get through their what it is that ails them and let them know that they're not alone. They, they reached out to the help that they need, but they're not alone. And, you know, we're rooting for these people, these individuals, to and for anybody to get through that difficult time. And um, mm-hmm. I thank God for, I thank God for NASCAR and for what it represents and all the programs. I thank God for Bill Murray and for mm-hmm. Carol and for all the others that have come and gone and that are still part of it because it takes an army. You know, it takes, everyone has a certain gift. Would you agree with that, Carol? No, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And um, and you hit on this before. People need to come out of their shell. You know, they they stay in the house all the time, and they roll around in the mud, so to speak, feeling sorry for themselves. Yeah. You know, it goes back. It go back. It goes back to that choice. You condition whatever that is. Let's say in the, in the context of you're a victim of child abuse and you're carrying all this baggage and 
it's weighing you down and you're at your wits end. You want to give up, but you want to get help. But, you, you know, you, you know, you have issues with your own family, but you want to give up. You see what I'm saying? You have a choice. You can stay in that place or you can make that step, take that step to get the help you need. And you'd be way better off once you do. I promise you that because I was like that myself. And I just want people to know you're not alone. There's nothing so awful. There's nothing to be embarrassed about by sharing, you know, by opening up and just getting the help you need. Um, Kara, you were sharing a lot of your story before, and, mm-hmm. you know, I was just thinking to myself, wow, what a sadistic world we live in, you know. So so much pain and grief and loss, and the children pay the biggest price, right? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they're voiceless. And when they do cry for help, they get ignored. Or they get they get laughed to scorn, like, yeah, right, kid, whatever. I don't believe that. You know, and the abuse goes on and on and on. And I was going to mention this before, but I think it kind of goes without saying this. But, you know, all along when I was being physically beaten by my mom and stepdad, I was also being daily berated. Mm-hmm. You know, be called, be, being called a moron, a simpleton. You are your father's son, I was called. You are an idiot. You're nothing. You're never going to be nothing. Well, guess what, Carol? After so long, I started to believe that. And I think that, that mentality. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I carried that into my adult life until I got some help. If you get what I'm saying, and oh yes, I do. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I I remember being in high school and liking these girls. You know, and they apparently liked me, but all I kept thinking in the back of my mind is what my mom would always say: "You're ugly, you're homely, you're stupid, you're nothing, and never get." And I'm thinking to myself, these girls probably think the same thing. So what's the point? You know, how sad, mm-hmm. right? How sad. And there's and there's people that still carry that. They still carry that that emotional baggage. You don't have to carry it anymore. Mm-hmm. There's help out there. That's right. NASCA is today a great place is. to start. Yes. Well, today there NASCA. is. You know, I mean, when I started this, um, well, I have worked in detention. I have worked in, in psychiatric also. I mean, I've, worked, I've had different types of jobs. Another one, too, is something in school. We had in-house school. Um, these kids committed adult crimes. They they came from backgrounds like we did, Joe, okay? Of course, right. I didn't know that. I used to take them to court. I had to wear a police officer uniform, except I didn't have the gun. I had the, the cuffs. and They were cuffed. Until we got into the courtroom, and then I was told to remove the cuffs. So I worked in, in that capacity, too, of social services, not just as a counselor or as a mentor, you know, people talking to me like we're speaking over the phone now, whatever. Um, but also, in, in, I was part of the Robbery Lifers program, Scared Straight. That was very cool. I did that for three years. But, you see, I think that a lot of us who have been abused, all right, 
who have gone through all kinds of stuff, um, we tend to, we're magnets. We're magnets, all right, for people like us, for one thing. And what these people didn't realize, the places that I worked, was I came from that, and I didn't share my story with them. But they thought I was brilliant. Right. <laughs> they thought I was brilliant because I knew so much. Well, why did I know so much, Joe and Philip? We know because we went through it, and this is why we can help right. other people, too. So I've spoken to police officers and, and all kinds of stuff. Didn't expect that that one night, but yes, a whole bunch of police officers to teach them more about child abuse. So this is this is our gift, you know, to be on radio shows or um, to write our books and and to to do presentations. I'm so happy you have that presentation coming up because it, it you feel like you're high. You don't have to take drugs, okay. Um, I got into the alcohol drug scene, too. You think I wouldn't have, but I did, because my so-called bio father, first time around, um, before I knew the truth, he was such an alcoholic, and that's why he used to pound my mother's face, too. Uh, I, I, I get that. And uh, But she wasn't a nice lady, either. <laughs> so um, that's where the no parents came in. But you see, um, I think that as we go along, as long as we're not dead either by our own hands or or by somebody else's hands, all right, whatever, whatever we, we get ourselves into, because we have to learn, too, what's right and what's wrong. At least I did, okay? We tend then to um, become ministers or become counselors or whatever, something in the field, because we do have a lot to offer. You are not a dumb person. You're a smart person. You're a very calm person. I like that. Um, you're very giving. You give of your time, and you want to help people. Well, my family just laughs at me, okay? I never had the backing of family, whereas at least in your case, I think your sisters certainly do back you and your brother, okay? Um you, right. you have that backing, and that that's good. That's good. So sometimes we have to walk alone on our journey as we're going through life, the journey itself of life, and, and do what we think is right, okay? So I'm looking forward to your second book as well. When it comes out, you'll let us know. And as far as your first book, I have so many books to read, but I'm going to read yours because you and I have a lot in common. I can see that, and that draws me to you. It draws me to you, okay? And um, right. that's why I said earlier on that you and I have a lot in common. Once I started to read your bio, I go, uh-oh, I know where he came from. He knows where I came from, you know? <laughs> and we made it, right. you see. We're not dummies. And what you were talking about before, because, I, I've, of course, I've learned all this, but that's emotional abuse, heavy-duty emotional abuse. When a parent, instead of uplifting their child, says to them, you're never going to amount to anything. They can be sitting there sloshing down a beer or whatever, but we're the ones that are never going to amount to anything. You see, we know this as we get older, okay? And right. we can look back and we can remember those cutting words. And then we realize in our own rationale that it, we are the ones that became something and they were the ones who were nothing. Now that's absolutely true. right. Yes. That's right. By the way, 
And you are something. You're wonderful. Listen to me. I want to get this out. Um, because the first is coming up. New Year's Eve is coming up. People ask me, Carol, you worked in, in detox. You worked in methadone clinics. You've done that. Okay. So how much beer can I drink this year? <laughs> they say that to me. So I thought, well, okay. It's actually 0.08 is the standard drink. And that's one 12-ounce can of beer. Now, if you get pulled over, it's going to show that it's 0.08 if you only had that one 12-ounce can of beer. Now, with a shot, it's 1.5-ounce shot. That's all you can have is a 1.5-ounce shot. Like if you're going to do a boiler maker, oh, my God, I used to drink them. Why? You pour the booze into the the whiskey into the beer. So it would be 1.5-ounce a shot. But if you already had a 12-ounce can of beer, you're drunk. Okay? Uh, I I haven't had uh, booze in a very long time, thank God. Uh, Or you can have one 5-ounce glass of wine. That's it. You can have any one of what I said, but just one shot, okay, or one 12-ounce can of beer, or one 5-ounce glass of wine. And if you get into an accident, you're considered drinking and driving. I don't know if they'll consider you drunk before the judge. It depends. And, again, you do the breathalyzer. And... um, I'm not trying to tell people how to drink, but I'm letting them know that since I was asked that, that's what's out there. Now, those are the stats because they change, and this is the way it is. One 12-ounce can of of beer you can probably get away with. 1.5-ounce a shot of of whatever whiskey. A one 5-ounce glass of wine. That's it. So just keep that in mind. And, and uh, I hear people say, too, Joe, well, what if you're a big person, okay? Then can't you drink a little bit more? You're, Carol, you're a little person. You you probably can't drink. You can't, probably can't drink it. Well, I'm not going to drink anyway. Thank God I haven't had a drink of booze in years, and I'm not going to screw that up now, ever. I'm done. But the, what you go by is a breathalyzer. So there's your answers for those who are listening because they wanted me to announce that. So there you go. I announced it. It's better not to drink and drive. That's the truth. Wait until you get home. Go party somewhere nicely. Eat some more d'oeuvres. Have a good time. And uh, then go home. And if you must, you know, if you want to, if you want to, then do your drinking at home. That's all. Am I fond of, of the drinking thing? No. I went through too much. you think that I would never have gotten into that, Joe with the drinking, with what I saw. But that's not the way it works. Right. You know that. That is not that. the way it works. I know no. that way too well. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely yeah. right. That is not the way it works. No. So anyway, correct. the you show could, is almost Those over. people that ask the question, they could ask for, you know, designated driver or Mm-hmm. You know, over. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. That's a good idea. I know that my, my daughter is going to be the designated driver this year. And I'm glad you brought that up because uh, that's something to think about. So many kids go out there. I've I've been out on the scene. You have too, for God's sake. And we know. 
you know. Yeah, yeah. And on this this highway not too far away from me, a kid and his passenger friend, a you know, guy friend, they were on their way home from a bar, and they both had far too much to drink. And somehow, I mean, I can't even picture this. I can't picture it. Their car went flying up into the air, went through a second-story window, a second-story window, killed the guy in the bed. No, I'm sorry, killed his wife. And he didn't get killed because he was, excuse me, going to the bathroom. He was in the bathroom. The husband was in the bathroom. Now, picture the type of life that those, they didn't get hurt. Picture the type of life that that, uh, they're going to have. For the rest of their life. Okay. How tragic. I think the, I think the passenger did get hurt. Take that back. He got a little bit. Yeah, he got hurt, but the driver didn't. Now he has to live with all of that for the rest of his life. So keep those little stats there in mind. That I said, one twelve ounce can of beer, one point five ounce shot, nothing more than that, or one five ounce glass of wine. That's it. And then get your butt home. So uh, <laughs> I'm being a mother here. I have to talk to my children, the ones that are listening. All right. So um, anyway, we had a wonderful show. I thank you so much for coming on. I'm looking forward to reading your book. And, yes, um, watch this on YouTube. You have here, it says here, watch this YouTube interview, okay, uh, that you had evidently previously before. So or anyway, um, we want you back again soon. Um, let us know how you're doing with your book. Um, it's a pleasure having you on the show. And, Philip, thank you for calling in. And um, our show is over. I'm sorry it's over because I feel like talking thank- to you more. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it, it is over. But Carol, yeah. Thank you so much, Carol, for this opportunity. And um, I'll be reaching out to you maybe tomorrow about some things. Okay. Well, if you ever want to uh, talk or whatever, I'm here, okay? Don't call okay. me in the morning, though, because then I'm not here, <laughs> all right? I'm still sleeping because uh, I have right. late-night calls. Okay, now the, it just flashed off, so we're just talking now. I have to play the music. Good night, everybody who listened, and to those who listened, you had a good show. We had a good show tonight, and good night, Philip. And um, Joe, I'll be talking to you soon. Good night now. Okay, good night. Love Talk Radio. Okay.